Every story in scripture awaits a response. I'm Warren Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas, and this is class number 12 in a series designed to cover the 17 periods of Bible history. Now, have you ever been on a long train ride through beautiful terrain, interesting locations, and there is this strong temptation to do more than just watch the passing scenery. You want to stop at every location and just take in the beauty, the intrigue, and visit a while. On a trip that has a schedule, you can't do that. We are on a trip that has a schedule. Our purpose in this series is to get the whole picture a timeline or a sequence of Bible events from Genesis on with emphasis on God's sovereignty and his unwavering purpose to bring Christ to the world in his time. So here we are now at the end of the Jews living in the promised land. They will be back but at this point, they are invaded by the Babylonians and taken away. The northern tribes were taken away very early by the Assyrians. At the time the Jews in the south were led away captive, Babylon was the dominant world empire having subdued Assyria. So we read these passages in the Old Testament in our preparation for this class. And we speak now of the Jewish captivity in Babylon for 70 years. That's our time period or event for this class. And my approach in this class will revolve around four questions and two prophets. Four questions and two prophets. The four questions, why were the Jews taken into captivity? How long were they there? What were they to do while they were there? What comfort did they have? And then after addressing those four questions, we'll have something to say about two men, Daniel and Ezekiel. So we're not going to stop the train and let everybody get off for 70 years. No, our plan is to survey and just understand what this period in Bible history is about. First question, why were the Jews taken into captivity? I'm thinking you already have the answer to that, but we're going to review it. In Leviticus 20 and verse 22, you shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. Vivid language. Their presence in the land, God said, was conditioned on their obedience to him. The captivity can be described in terms of Leviticus 20, as the land vomiting them out through the Babylonian conquest. Jeremiah 25, 11 through 12 also helps us understand why the captivity. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, 
and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. Then after seventy years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. This is very clear about the ruin and waste sinful people caused, and specifically God's people taken to Babylon for 70 years. After the 70 years, God would take care of Babylon. 2 Kings 23, 26 and 27. Still the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath, by which his anger was kindled against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight as I have removed Israel. And I will cast off this city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. So God has been provoked by the repeated rebellion of the people. And this was operative in the Babylonian invasion and the people being taken out of the land. So we know why this happened. How long? As already mentioned, 70 years. We didn't just pull that figure up from calculations of chronology and dates and times. 70 years is specified. We just read. And listen to this in Daniel 9, 1 and 2. Daniel 9, verses 1 and 2. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. And so now we have before us why and how long this question comes up. What were the people to do while in Babylon for 70 years? Again, we have very specific historical reference as to what was expected. Listen to this in Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 6. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles, whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. This is interesting. They were not to instigate a rebellion or escape. They were to live as normal a life as possible under these circumstances. Provide for themselves, keep families intact, bear children, and not decrease. Now, was there a sadness or a grief in their hearts? Absolutely. I'm opening now to the book of Psalms. Chapter 137, Psalms, 
137. Listen to this. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows, there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. This is emotion, perhaps exaggerated. This expresses the grief of the Jewish people during this era, the 70 years in Babylon, while at the same time they were to carry on normal lives. Next question, was there comfort or hope, emphasis on hope here. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, Isaiah is a prophet, but he documents a lot of history for us. Here's the setting. In Isaiah chapter 39, he tells Hezekiah about the invasion from the Babylonians. He prophesies of the captivity. Then in chapter 40, comfort and hope. Listen to some of this. In Isaiah chapter 40, right in the beginning of the chapter, verses 1 and 2, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. See, this speaks of pardon and comfort and hope for the people who were in exile. And further into chapter 40, what is made clear is God's plan goes forward. Chapter 40 of Isaiah, verses 3 to 8, a voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together from the mouth of the Lord who has spoken. The word of God stands forever. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. So from this passage in Isaiah 40, we see clearly God's word, God's promise, God's plan never stopped or halted by men. And the comfort and hope is dramatically revealed near the end of the chapter in this well-known passage. This is near the end of Isaiah chapter 40. 
Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Though living in Babylon, God's people could activate their faith and embrace their hope and mount up with wings like eagles. Now look in your Bible, chapter 1, verse 1 of Daniel. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The book begins with this definitive time reference that puts the book into good historical context. 606, 605 B.C., Jerusalem is assaulted before the final fall. In one of those assaults, Daniel and his friends are taken to Babylon. It was spoken by the prophets previous to Daniel that this would happen. God administered this judgment against his people for their sin. He used Nebuchadnezzar and others to carry out his purpose. Daniel is among the Jews living in Babylon in time, the setting, is about 600 years before Christ. Daniel is enlightening and interesting, and he fills in some blanks about this period as you meet Daniel and his friends, and also as you become acquainted with the pagans in Babylon, you'll be drawn into the story, and you will be put in position to imagine what you might have done in their place. All the emotional buttons that pull people into a story will be pressed as you read the book of Daniel. You'll get mad at the pagans. You'll be afraid for Daniel. You'll be thrilled by the stories of victory, the plot of people interacting with people and people interacting with God or not that will hold your attention. This is not dry history. It's about real people in their time. Daniel helps us a lot with this period of captivity. Then Ezekiel, a large book, probably not the kind of book you would pick up for casual reading, perhaps intimidating. It is so different from anything usually encountered in modern reading. The casual reader generally finds it so difficult it is just skimmed or ignored. Another factor that may reduce the popularity of the book of Ezekiel is that it is so repetitive. For example, the vast majority of the first 24 chapters is devoted to a single message. Jerusalem will fall to the Babylonians, a message told and retold dozens of times 
from every conceivable angle again and again. So it is a long book, it's difficult, it's repetitive, and it's apocalyptic. And that means highly figurative, symbolic language is used. Ezekiel saw visions and then wrote what he saw, much like Daniel or John in the New Testament book of Revelation. And there are some scenes and descriptions in this book which seem really strange to the modern readers, making a model war on a brick or a rock. Uh, the prophet lying on his left side for 390 days, eating bread cooked over an oven with strange fuel, getting a haircut, then weighing and dividing the results, many other examples. The book of Ezekiel has elements or features that may cause us to skip over it. Lengthy, difficult, repetitive, apocalyptic. But this is one of those times in the Bible where if you will invest time and thought, you're going to be richly rewarded. There is so much to learn here about the certainty of God's judgment, his faithfulness to his promises and his people, the wages of sin, excellent passages for us to learn more about individual responsibility and forgiveness and leadership and many other topics. God is speaking to and through Ezekiel in a time of crisis, and that helps us understand the period of captivity. So that's a quick look at another period in Bible history, the captivity of the Jewish people in Babylon. Three quick takeaways. Number one, especially as it pertains to Psalms 137. Though the people of God live in an unfriendly environment, they can continue to serve him and embrace the hope of his promises. We can help each other in difficult times. We can still spread God's word and live out his word. We can maintain good spiritual discipline and growth. We can pray and worship and study even when it's hard. Number two, I'll tell you, Isaiah 40 is such a rich passage about who God is. There's a place in Isaiah 40 about the end of verse 9 where it says, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arm and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. I want you to continue to go back and read Isaiah 40. This is the God we serve through Jesus Christ. Thank you for being a part of this additional study in our 17 periods of Bible history. What comes up next is return from captivity. We hope you'll be with us.